In this week's episode of Love as a Business Strategy, we have a returning guest. Javon McCormick is the CEO of Scribe Media, and the last time he was on the show, things got uncomfortable, but in the best kind of way. This time, he joins us to talk about diversity and inclusion from his unique lived experiences, and we open up some very real discussions. There is language in this episode that may be unsuitable for younger listeners, but Hey, if your kids are listening to business podcasts, maybe they can handle it. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Love is a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. Before we begin, I want to remind everyone to check out our best-selling book. And since you found this podcast, it'll be easy to find the book. It's also called Love as a Business Strategy. It's not your typical business book. And just like this show, it's laid back, real, and honest. Everyone on camera is holding up their copy of the book right now. It's fantastic. So go check it out on Amazon or your favorite retailer right now. But hey, as you know, we're here to talk about business. We want to tackle topics that most business leaders shy away from. We believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. I am your host, Jeff Ma, and I'm a director at Softway, which is a business-to-employee solutions company that creates products and offer services that help build resilience and high-performance company cultures. I am joined today by many people, starting with Mohammed Anwar, President and CEO of Softway. Hello, Mohammed. Hello, Jeff. And then Chris Petrie, Vice President. Hello, Chris. Hello. And Frank, my fellow director, how are you doing? Hello, Jeff. There are five people here. If you're watching us on a video, there's five people. And when you see all five of us, that can be only for one reason. It's because, of course, we have Javon McCormick in the house. I cannot get anybody to step out of this episode. We all insist That's right. we had to be We're all here. showing up. CEO, <laughs> CEO of Scribe Media. And if you haven't seen the first episode that Javon was on, pause this, go watch it or listen to it, and come back. We had an amazing time. We had a blast. I made him promise to come back. He has lived up to that promise. Javon, Thank you for joining us once again here on the podcast, uh, gentlemen. This is uh, let, let, let's let's burn it down. Come on, see we're we're already warm this time. We, we're just picking up where we left off, <laughs> but we're still going to do an icebreaker. All right, okay, we're still going to do an icebreaker, and this time, you know, we're going to definitely save Javon for last on this one. And I'm going to start with Frank. Frank, are you ready? No. We're all getting the same questions, so everybody else, this is hard for you and easy for everybody else, Frank. What did you get in the most trouble for as a kid? When I was seven years old, I decided to raid my grandmother's uh, pantry for flour. And I grabbed a bunch of flour and I put it in a big bowl of water. And then for some reason, I walked around her house and I like splattered it on the couches. And I don't even understand the why that happened or anything else, but I remember my grandmother walking in and just freaking out because there are these splatters of, you know, flour and water mixture everywhere. And she had to hire professional cleaners to come and clean her entire house. And to this day, I do not know why I did that or why that happened. But that is the, that is the thing I got in most trouble for when I was a kid. And it feels like Levi, your son, has actually brought that karma full circle 100%. Back, back to you in the way he's – anyways, there's another story there. Okay. Frank was getting his Jackson Pollock on. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Chris, you're up next. What did you get in the most trouble for as a kid? 
Um, as you can probably imagine, my smart mouth um, was the thing that got me in the most trouble. Um, so much so that there's a story that I don't even recall, but everyone in my family reminds me of, which is there was this one day, you know, we were getting in the car and it was me and my sister and an older cousin and my mom. And my sister was taking a really long time to get in. I don't recall this at all, but this is the story that I get told. And, <laughs> you know, she was taking her a sweet precious time and I was apparently in a hurry. And I just turned around and said, Candace, get your skinny blank in in the car. And it was like the A word, right? And my mom just turned around and just gave me a backhand to the mouth. And she had this like big ring at the time. And so everybody just recalls this sort of like, oh, Chris's teeth, oh, right? Like, <laughs> but I don't remember any of this happening, but I've been told that this is like one of the most memorable sort of like um, discipline situations, but also smart mouth situations that I've been in. So what I'm hearing is she hit you so hard you got a concussion and don't remember this. This. Oh my gosh! Moment. This is a take. I think that's, I think that's what. I think hold on, I, hold I got. You, you gotta. You gotta say it the way Chris's mom would have said it. Boy, I will slap the memory out of your <laughs> ass. <laughs> and it went. I don't recall this. It but went. My sister, everybody else remembers this. And I was like, I don't know if I just suppressed it. I don't know if I got hit that hard, but I don't remember. But just I said woke it. up the next day. <laughs> Ooh. All right. Well, Mohammed, you are next. What did you get in the most trouble for as a kid? I think I got in trouble quite a bit, but the one that stands out to me, I think that I remember and had the most impact on me was I was visiting, you know, a family friend's home with my family. And um, I came back home with that, a toy from their house that I just decided to take back with me. And when I got home, I showed it to my parents and my parents were like, where did you get that from? I'm like, I picked it up from their house. And that was it. That was my lesson on what does stealing mean and what I've done and how I need to go back and return it and face the consequences of it. So um, that's it. After, after that's that your... day, I've, I've never like, <laughs> that's your I worst. <laughs> that was, but that's, that's what I remember. Sauce. Mo, that is so weak. We've all yeah, done that. Mo, did you did you did you get an ass whooping or something? I mean, give me yeah. like finish the story. I, I, I did not get an ass whooping, but I do remember that feeling of embarrassment and thing was just the shame was just horrendous. That's all I can tell you. That's why I remember it. Like that was enough. Thank you, Mo. <laughs> Such a just a goody goody. I, I will I will share mine as well. I usually don't do this, but mine was mine was because I, I, I will never forget it. I was very young, but I was obsessed at the time with the garage door opener. I'd always be the one. I was like, when we when we pull up from home, I wanted to be the one to open the garage doors, the old school, just manual kind of pressy little thing. And then I did that regularly. And one night we were pulling in, and I decided to press close while we were halfway into the thing. The door came down and crunched the car broke the garage door and the roof of the car and uh, i mean it was i don't yeah i don't even i also blacked out chris i also <laughs> have no, have no further no further memory no further memory from that from that day but oh my anyways, gosh javon you're up what did you get in the most trouble for as a kid oh, man so so okay I, I, 
this this sucks because you guys are kind of making me be that person. We, we we've all met this person before, where you tell them you've been to Disney World, and they tell you they've been there three times, <laughs> or you, you you tell them you got on the roller coaster, oh, I rolled eight times. So you guys are making me be the 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 I've been three times person. <laughs> um, mine was for we talked a little bit about this last time. Um, mine was for fighting back my against my dad's prostitute and she called the police on me um and then they took me to to juvenile that was what i got in the most trouble for she she was hitting me i got tired of getting beat i fought back uh she was white they called the police guess who goes to jail (laughs) and so that that was the worst now outside of that because you know you can chalk that up to like some criminal shit um I was playing with matches one time and my mom caught me and my mom didn't uh, discipline me. She says, uh, she said, I'm going to tell your dad. And I remember this. I remember saying to myself, wait a minute, I can't even get him to come pick me up. What's he going to do? And so I was like, okay, cool. You tell him, you know, like, I was like, he's not going to show up. I'll be damned. I'm like, okay. You can't show up when it's time to pick me up, but you show up for an ass whooping. I'm like, what kind of shit is this? <laughs> time and place. Time and place. Yeah. And, and un- unlike Jeff and Chris, I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there you go, man. But well, I do remember yep. plenty of other beatings. Just FYI, I do remember plenty of others. <laughs> but that one is the one that I, I can't forget it because I'm always reminded of it. Nice. Oh, my gosh. Well, the award goes to Javon. You win with multiple, sure. multiple stories. That man, that like I said, now I'm the the three time Disney World person. <laughs> <laughs> well, Javon, when when we last talked, uh, we only touched very lightly. At the time, I think we, someone said D and I, and I know that's a term you don't like. And we said, why not? And we wanted to dive further into it. And it, we just, you know, there's this whole thing to unpack here. And so we thought it'd be great to start there today and maybe you could start us off talk about diversity and inclusion i'll say the whole phrase and 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 tell us why you know why you have a problem with the term dni and where does that sit for you and what you know what are your passions around this topic uh, i i feel that as a society for the most part people will try to say they they've shortened it into a, an acronym because it's easier to say no what's easier to say is when you say diversity that's hard to say because now we're talking about minorities now we're talking about gays now we're talking about we there's a whole lot that goes into diversity and that's a tough word to say diversity is for for me is uh, all, all of us here are old enough to remember you were always taught don't talk religion in politics in the workplace. No yeah. diversity's on the list too. Don't talk diversity. That 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 has been a rule for years. You know, because that's a very uncomfortable conversation because you've got to address the the big ass elephant that oh wow there's only we've got 2000 people working with this and there's only eight minorities. Oh, yeah, diversity's kind of hard to talk about right now. So um I I feel that when you shorten it you are making it easy and in, in not in the in the sense of, well, it's just a hard word to say. No, it's not. It's diversity and inclusion. It's not hard to say. You know, oh, it's a, it's a mouthful. No, it's hurtful. That's why you, you don't want to say it. So uh, I, I just I cringe every time I see it 
written D E and I D and I, or, or I hear people say, I mean, come on, say the word. Um, but yeah, that I, it, it just rubs me the wrong way because I know why people are shortening it. Maybe not everybody, but the great majority are shortening it because it is a very difficult conversation to have. Yeah, absolutely. And Javon, um, I also know that <clears throat> you have some thoughts about diversity separate from inclusion and how they connect or intersect or dot in certain situations. But I would love to hear you sort of go deeper into sort of what it means to one, have diversity, but then what does it mean to include that diversity? Well, so so I, I've said this, You, I believe we said it last time we, we were all together. Uh, one, diversity doesn't have a finish line. You know, it, it's it's continuous. It, you know, it's just it's it's like payroll. It, it, it didn't stop. It, it, you got to keep writing the payroll check. So um, it, it's a way of life, and and we should stop treating it as a mission. You know, because a mission has a end goal. You know, if you're in the military, what's our mission? You know, you have a, a, an end goal. Diversity has no finish line. It, it, you you just keep going. It should just be a part of, of your life, a part of your culture, and a part of our, our country. There should be no um, separation of, oh, oh we, we finish. But more importantly, here, here's what you're seeing right now in society. Uh, oddly enough, here we are all together. And what the, the, the George Floyd anniversary was, what, two days ago yesterday? Yeah. Two, two days ago, I think. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's interesting because now everyone's talking about, okay, what, what actually has been done in, in the workplace? What have we done as a society? And you've got all these people out there, companies touting what they've done to attract diversity, you know, diversity and, and bring in candidates. But no one, no one's talking about what is it like for diverse candidates once they make it into the workplace? What's that look like? You know, no one wants to address the fact that um, and, and I'll speak for for myself. I you all know I'm the old man here. Um, I remember working at places and there may be two or three other minorities in the, in the workplace. And you strayed away from those minorities because you didn't want to be marked as a troublemaker. And so you you wanted to fit in because the playbook was uh, you had a certain name, you went to a certain school, you come from a certain background. And so if you didn't fit into that that playbook, it, you you were doing everything you could to try to assimilate and, and fit in. And you didn't want to associate with the other minorities because oh, 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 they're forming a group, they're a troublemaker. And so uh, no one talks about that. You know, here, here's something we had in, inside uh, Scribe. So we hired uh, one mixed race woman. She's half white, half black, um, and she's gay. And we hired a another black woman. And they wanted to test the culture. And so we had a Zoom call, and they wore their head wraps. So uh, in, in the black, black community, a lot of uh, black women will wear uh, head wraps for their hair to keep it moisturized, keep it in place, whatever. Well, in corporate America, and they both said it, you can get fired for wearing a, a head wrap. And so they wanted to see what would happen. So they wore their head wraps to a Zoom call. And here's what happened. Oh, my God, your hair wrap is so beautiful. And they were taken back like, wow, you all really are doing it different. They were accepted. 
They were welcomed. No one looked at them crazy. And, and that's a very unusual thing from corporate America where you're looked at different for why are you wearing a head wrap on a Zoom call? And, and so those are just different elements that take place inside that people don't talk about. Last one I'll share with you all that, that we just went through. This is this is powerful because let, let's let's be honest on the other side of this. Right now, when everyone is saying diversity, most people, most are talking about black people. That's what that's what the majority of the diversity word is is addressing right now. But no one's talking about uh, what is it to be Middle Eastern? What is it to be uh, uh, Hispanic, Mexican, Latino? No one's talking about that. This has been very black focused and me being half black. I'll call it what it is. But here's something that just took place with us. So we did, we were doing our interviews and I'm always the last person that interviews candidates on site. I'm the, I'm the last person they speak with. So before I went to walk into this interview, I, I asked one of our tribe members, Rosalia, uh, I said, hey, Rosalia, how much time should I spend in here? And she goes, oh, no, no, she's good. She's going to spend, spend some time. She goes, but I have a big concern. And I go, okay, stop right there. Don't tell me. So I went in, did the interview. Interview went great, loved it. She's phenomenal. But I walked out and I said, hey, Rosalia, what, what, what's the problem? What'd you see? She goes, well, I'm a, I'm a little nervous that you wouldn't want to hire her because of her accent. So she's Mexican and she's got a heavy accent, you know, and, and she'll, she'll say things like instead of saying chair, so she'll say share. Instead of saying Shamu, she'll say Chamu. And so Rosalia, that culture uh, of the Mexican culture, especially here in Texas, Rosalia was concerned that she goes, will we hire her? I'm nervous. She's, she's great. She can do the job. And I said, I tell you what, Rosalia, if we have anyone who dares says something about her accent, if we have a client, an author on the phone who dares say something about her accent, we'll either fire the tribe member or fire the author. I said, that's bullshit. We're not going down that path. I said, she's going to be a phenomenal tribe member. She's going to be a great addition to the tribe and we're going to hire her. And Rosalia lit up like, Wow. It, because that's the part that people aren't talking about in corporate America when it comes to diversity. That happens. There, that, that happens where people who have that type of accent don't get hired. Yep. No. Wow. I completely agree. Have seen stories, heard of it, you know, and I, I, I think you bring up an excellent point and an excellent conversation. Actually, this is going to be a longer conversation because I'm not going to let it go. Um, but you know, <laughs> when it comes, <laughs> um, but when we talk about inclusion, I do think that there is less emphasis and less budget around that, and everyone invests in that diversity hiring and recruiting, and all the attention goes there. And then people do show up, and it's like, uh, what is this? <laughs> um, and you know, either find coping mechanisms or leave right and yeah. the the unfortunate part is that you know being a minority or a marginalized group as you mentioned it's not just black people and that's typically where the conversation veers um and or it creates tension among all the minorities where who's getting the attention right. becomes the darling and then you have the struggle olympics between them and right and everybody's vying for the same attention and 
the whole big picture is missed, right? Because it's a mission and it's not a, a way of life. Right. And it creates that tension among the minority groups, right? Because everybody's fighting for the same pot of money, the same attention, the same sponsors, the same sort of influence, right? And there's not a, there has not yet been space mentally as well as physically for everyone to exist as well as be included in conversations and decisions in the promotional velocity within the organization. And everybody enter, or typically exits where they enter, right? As a person of color or minority, whatever role you were hired at, you might not be just one or two levels above that before you have to leave and go and actually take your next jump. Right. Whereas when you look at sort of the um, majority counterparts that you might have, you know, they, they grow, like they have a mentor or some advocate, you know, who's just like, oh man, we, you know, reminds me of my son, right? Like pulls them up and, you know, sort of gives them the promotion, gives them opportunity. Even if they fail, they still don't pay the cost of that failure um, like others do. Um, and it's it's something where, <clears throat> unfortunately, in organizations, when you start talking about this, you know, people shut down because they're like, so you're calling me racist? Are you calling me, right? And it's like, I'm not saying, yes. I'm not saying any of that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what I'm saying is our experience, <laughs> it's like, what I'm saying is our experiences are different. And there is something that's driving that difference. And we haven't yet untapped it. We haven't uncovered it. We haven't gotten to the bottom of it. And I know for me, when I was first promoted, this was before Softway, um, I was the only Black person, right? I got promoted to director. And the VP of the organization did not want me to join the director meetings. So our conference rooms were fully glass. So you can see through. So everybody could see wow, the director's a meeting, but Chris is sitting out, you know, at the cube, like what the, and they would come and say like, Chris, shouldn't you be in that meeting? Shouldn't you be in that meeting? And I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, but I, you know, I think they're waiting. Like, I think, right. Like and you, you try and sort of shrug it off. Yeah. Um, and then I finally confront the VP and he's like, oh, well, it would make everybody else uncomfortable if you were to join that meeting. I mean, yesterday you were just this and now you're the, you're at their level. So it's going to take a while for them to adjust. And, you know, I'm like, that's wrong. <laughs> right. Like that's, right you know, like, what the hell, like, that? who does that? Like, where does that mentality come from? And if they're uncomfortable, whose problem is that, <laughs> right? Um, and so you have sort of this situation where even if you get that promotional velocity, there's still going to be that question mark of, am I actually allowed to sit here? Can I actually use my voice? Can I actually have a platform? Um, and I think that that's unfortunate, but that's still sort of the battle that is raging in the diversity and inclusion space, especially on that inclusion side. Well, so, hey, remind me, y'all. I feel that Jeff is coming on. It's coming on. <laughs> um, did, did we talk about Dante Wright last time on our call? Yes, no, maybe so. Okay, I don't you, think so. You guys, you know who Dante Wright is, right? Well, okay, you're already you, you're already one foot in. Let's do this. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. So, did you all see when the uh, Derek uh, Chavin uh, the, the the trial was going on? That kid Dante Wright got shot like yeah. right down the street from right. when the trial was the, the same week it was going on. In that in the time yeah. Yeah, in the time frame. Yes. So, so people lost their minds on me when I brought this up in in a good mm -hmm. way. Because a lot of people weren't thinking about this. All right. All right. Because we're, we're, yeah. we're going to get a lot of comments on this one. Yeah. So here's what happened. So Dante Wright was, was shot and killed. And we, we, we saw that. Here was the narrative. Another black man shot and killed. Minneapolis. Derek Chavin trial going on. George Floyd. You know, all of it. Another black man shot and killed. It was, it was in the media. It was in, in, in print. Blogs. Everywhere. And 
Then I was watching the news and I saw Dante Wright's parents. His mom was white, dad was black. And I was like, interesting. They keep referring to him as a black man. Another black man shot. Because the narrative that needs to be kept is another black man shot. He's mixed race. So here's my problem with this. We have gone out of our way as a country, just bent over backwards. We have put uh, planes in the, in the sky that are sky riding that Kamala Harris is mixed race. We have screamed it globally. First mixed race VP. Why doesn't Dante Wright get the same respect to be called mixed man was shot and killed? His mom and dad are white and black. We've gone on our way for Kamala Harris. So why can't we go out of our way for Dante Wright to be referred to as mixed race man shot and killed? And, and it's little things like that, in my opinion, that keep this, this, this cycle going where we, we claim we want to bring change. We claim is, is that we want to see things done different. And, and I'll even go a step further. We're running around pulling down statues, and I'm not saying we shouldn't. I think it's a good thing. But here's my problem. We do some very surface shit in, in our society. So we've got a problem with syrup bottles. we got a problem with statues. We'll say Kamala Harris is mixed race, which she is, but so was Dante Wright. But here's the thing. When America references a mixed race person as black, the reason they're doing it is because there is a rule back in slavery that was written, a law, that if you have one drop of black blood, you're black. And if we're truly trying to right our wrongs in this country, then we need to do it holistically and not on the surface level of, oh, tear down the statue. Oh, Kamala Harris, first mixed race. Okay, well, then let's be consistent in our efforts and not pick and choose where those efforts benefit us as a society because it's a good photo op or a good piece for the media. Yeah, mm. so yeah. I agree. I, I, I was just going to say, so, I mean, this is, this is a challenge, right, John? So how do we solve this problem? How do we make sure that there's a real solution to these uh, issues? Because you're right, we can't just go solve this by pulling down statues. I mean, we can't like go do those drastic things and then hope that it all goes away. So I, I, I want to ask, like, what have organizations done in the last year? Especially, I, I focus on the business side because I feel like we have the most influence from the right. workplace. I mean, besides chump, you know, thumping their chest and saying, look, we hired, look at us, we won a DNI award and so forth. Like what, what real difference have they made? Right. Like, I want to, I want to know, like, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm asking, um, not because I think, you know, but I'm like trying to create this debate here. So how do we solve this problem? I, I don't know that there's a, it, it, well, here, here's the thing. This, I, I love this because we're, we're talking about love as a strategy. Um, and, we all know, especially in business, there's never one thing. There's never one thing. And, and so, but we do know that if we all get together right now, we have an executive meeting, we say, look, our profit margins have to get to 15%. We're going to find a way that we're going to keep saying at every meeting, hey, 15%, 15%, 30%, whatever it is we're after that profit margin, we're going to keep beating it. And until we start, and you're going to start to see it tick up. Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. And I feel like with, with diversity 
and and I said this back when the the uh, the George Floyd murder first happened. It's got to be consistency. We have a tendency in this country to swing the pendulum so hard for what's the new hotness, what's the the new initiative, and then it falls off. And and you look no further than Ferguson. Remember Michael Brown? For two weeks, everybody was pissed off, burned down the the, the city, everything. But then it went away, and then that was it. And so the 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 key for me, the number one word, and and it's sad because it's the biggest word that I feel that is missing in our country is consistency. We're not consistent anymore. Everybody wants instant gratification. Everybody wants it right now. Think think about the gym. If somebody wants to lose 30 pounds, we have the audacity. We want to go to the gym at two o'clock in the afternoon and we want to lose that 30 pounds by 4 p.m. (laughs) <laughs> Hell, we're, we're a society that people are like, I, I, I don't want to wait till four. I want to lose it by three. And, and so, but we're, we're not consistent I- anymore. Everything's instant gratification. Everything's the next swipe, everything. And so with diversity, I don't believe there's one solution. It's going to take multiple things of consistent effort consistently talking about it, bringing it up, showing that attention of here are the things that we need to address. doesn't need to make anybody right or wrong, but these are the things that we need to address. Just like the Dante Wright thing. When I said that people were shocked. They're like, wow, I never thought of it that way. I go, I know that. (laughs) And and so those are the little things that we have to show. You can't just celebrate Kamala Harris's mixed race because she's the first female vice president. If we're going to do that, then let's be consistent all the way through and show that same respect to everyone. That kid should get the same respect to be called mixed race. His mom's white, his dad's black. They should get the respect. They had a mixed race son. Show them respect. Sure. So I, I think I think consistency is one thing, and I, I agree with you. But I also think that we're not really looking for the right solution to be consistent no. with, right? Like we're missing the point where we're doing all these things for the wrong reasons. We're doing it to superficially show off we're not doing it for genuine reasons of bringing about change we're not we're not like if you're going on social media and broadcasting look at us we've hired a dni officer look at us we won this dni award then is it really being done for the right reason yep i I, so i don't care like to be honest john they're freaking consistent on social media i'll tell you that and bullshit (laughs) they consistently show you bullshit yeah so, so that's why i think I think consistency aside, I don't think we're even looking at this problem the right way. I don't think we're trying to approach it the right way. I I do believe there are some people who have, you all, uh, us here at Scribe, us here on on this call. Um, I I also believe that diversity has to be called out uh, holistically. And and, and what I mean by that, we were in a meeting the other day, it, it was our diversity call as a tribe, and we had a gay, half white, half black woman in the room. We had a black woman in the room. We had a gay white woman in the room. We had a white woman in the room. But I shocked everybody when I said this. We also had a white man in the room who had just come out of the military. He spent eight years in the military. He was an officer. We are his first uh, civilian job he ever has, has had. And I called this out to people. I go, and you know what? He's part of diversity, too, because we've never had that. And Mm -hmm. and a lot of people are so just white guy. You're not included. 
And I'm like, hold on, hold on. Don't don't <laughs> swing the pendulum so far to where now we're trying to exclude people. Don't it's like we want yeah. to punish for some shit that was going on. Now, now all white people have to pay. And I'm like, that's that's such bullshit. It, it, uh, Muhammad, here's an, another one. Oh man. <clears throat> Let's go. So <laughs> Chris, tell me if you're you're understanding me when I say this. I personally cannot stand, I've seen this several times, a white person will come to a black person and ask to be educated about the things they don't know. And I've seen some black people say, it is not my job to educate you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait a minute, you can't bitch because... People are trying to, you don't understand me. You don't understand what I've been through. And now they're trying to understand. And then you want to be mad at that too. No, it's like you you have to uh, educate with the best intention. I'm not going to go to the level of how I've been discriminated against or people who didn't care about my background. How can, if someone is truly coming to me, seeking to learn, understand then I have a responsibility to educate them and teach them. I can't just turn you away. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I've been in those situations, overheard those conversations. And I'm like, what are you like? <laughs> everything that you've been asking for is about to happen. And now you're like, oh, how dare you ask me to educate? Right? And like they turn it into this thing that it's not meant to be. Um, but personally, I've always felt like if someone is that brave and courageous to come and say, I know I need to know this and I don't know where to go or how to start or whatever. Like that is my responsibility, but also it's an honor that they trust you enough, right? Right, to start there with you, and I think that there's a lot of people, and it's not just black. It's like anytime there's a difference, um, and someone is sort of ignorant or not as aware of what happens in that culture. Whenever someone's willing to submit themselves and say, like, I don't know any, like, can you help me? I don't, right? It's just almost like when you go to a foreign country, you can't speak the language, right? <laughs> it's like, like you have to ask for, you have to get someone to show you what to do how to ask how to speak where to go all of those things and when you have so you know when you have those folks that turn away or just like are repulsed because you dare ask them to help you um you just wonder like what what mindset do you have to have to have that reaction when someone who is clearly in need is coming to to you of all people clearly there's something that they trust about you clearly there's something that they see in you Clearly, it's something they believe about you that they would open up to allow for that type of, you know, input, you know, control or information to come. Right. Because when you educate people, you ultimately are in control. Right. Yeah. And I think that's that's a deep topic to get into. We can talk about Western no, education. <laughs> but hey, you see Chris trying to set up a part three. You see that? Yeah, it's part three, part three. <laughs> you know, y'all, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm listening. and I'm thinking to myself, I, I'm going to try not to get emotional, but. People are so unwilling to see the value of diversity. They're so unwilling to see the unique attributes of different people's perspectives and lived experiences. Javon, what I love about you so much is that you are an executive who doesn't have an on-off switch. You are you. And I was with an executive over the weekend, multi, multi, hundreds of millions of dollars technology organization. And he was sitting there making fun of someone who's going through a transition because all he does is he shows up to work to make sure that he doesn't have EEOC violations and HR doesn't come and complain. And so he'll flip that switch and act the way he needs to act in order to not be seen as insert title here, 
Right. And then as soon as that turns off, he'll speak about them behind their back. Yeah. He'll, he'll make fun of the pronouns. He'll make fun of the identity. He'll make fun of the individual. And the problem is when we don't have leaders that truly care about the humanity of the person, then you are not able to build real inclusion. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm so frustrated by the fact that there are so many leaders in corporate America, it doesn't matter what type of organization we're talking about, that do not see the value and decide that what they're going to do is instead of learn and understand and try to connect and build bridges across difference, they would rather just pretend to care. And then when they leave work, what they talk about on the golf course, sorry, what they talk about in conversations with their good old boy network is discrimination and hatred and vile. And it needs to be called out. I, I personally, I believe that the more leaders that see the, the that that try to create an empathetic connection with people, the more value that brings. Like when the stories you just told us about you in the room bringing more inclusive behaviors to your team, showing them different perspectives of how to look at things from different vantage points and angles, that is so inspiring because you're showing them how to see the world in a unique way that values collaboration and identity. And it's so refreshing to me, number one. And number two, I see such a massive necessity placed upon leaders to understand the impact and the reality that diversity and inclusion plays. That's all I was going to say. I just want to let it let you know, like it's. Let's get one for Frank. Listen, I just. Frank, I want to, I, I want to talk about that a little bit. Like, Let's talk about it. I, I agree that those behaviors and those acts are, you know, horrible. But I think just calling it out ain't going to fix it. No. I think we have to figure out how are we going to influence these leaders to change. But how do we make them change? Do you think calling out is just going to all of a sudden one day they're like, oh, I got called out, so I'll change. No, they'll turn the no. switch on even more. That'll fade. They're just like a statue being torn down, it'll fade. It'll fade out of memory when they're when it's not in focus. Or um, they'll learn to keep the switch on the whole time. That's fair. But it then but then it's then it's you'll still see through it. The cracks will emerge, right? Like the facade will break eventually. And then what you have is a broken culture built off of lies and, and false promises. I mean, it's still it will evaporate. You know, Mohammed, you 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 bring up a great point. I feel what what starts to break that, and it's a very slow go. Mm -hmm. But there's, uh, and, and I don't mean this is is disrespectful to to Jeff, Chris, or, or Frank, but the Javans and the Mohammeds of the world that have hit the CEO chair are few and far between. Yeah. And so, what the the slow go that has to happen is as we rise to those chairs that 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 ceo chair then the behaviors will change as well because i promise you what's happening right now with the person that frank just brought up is 
whoever he is surrounded by with with his uh, his corporate executive team, he has shared some of those racist behaviors with them. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. they're going to assimilate to how he is because they want to make sure they stay in that that circle of let me make sure I get my check, my stock options, my bonus. So then that starts to trickle down because then that next level of people are like, well, I got to stay close to that director or that VP. Yep. Yep. And so that's the the thing to, to Frank's point where I totally agree with when you have a Mahal when you have a Javon in those chairs, the behaviors start to change. And and I'm not a trickle down person. I'm a trickle up person because my role is to support the people that I serve. And so the behaviors start to change. And and, and I'm going to go left for a little bit, but but think about this for a second. Um, Did this on a keynote recently. And I said, let me explain to you what a slave plantation looks like. And I went down this path and I started explaining uh, uh, what a slave plantation looks like. I said, they, they come to work, they put in all this effort and they don't get paid. I go, but you put a roof over their head and you feed them a little bit. And then that way you, you keep them working in the field. I said, that's a slave plantation. I said, or is that college football? I said, because they don't get paid. I go, but they get a room, a dorm, they get fed, but they got to hit that field. And so someone pushed back and they were like, yeah, but they get a free education. I said, so does the person that got the full ride scholarship in biology, but they're not having to work in the field to produce revenue for the school. And in fact, for the person who got the full ride biology, guess who's paying for that? The field hands that are going out to the field each day. And I said, here's what bothers me the most. I don't have a, 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 I do have a problem with it, but my bigger problem is you're going to tell me that all the black men that have come through the NCAA football program, all the black men that have come through the NCAA basketball program, you're going to tell me that with all of the black men who have played that sport, none of them, you, you shouldn't have a larger concentration of coaches, assistant coaches. Where, where They played the sport. You're going to tell me they don't understand it? They can't be coaches? And so when I look at this, to, to your point, Muhammad, it is all around us because that's a, a deal that's being uh, just repeated over and over, then they make it to the NFL and even the NFL. How come we don't have more black coaches there? I'm like, are you kidding me? And you see some of the same recycled coaches that you sucked at that team and then you got hired at this team. But but the the Eric Bieniemy who won the damn Super Bowl with Kansas City, he can't get a head coaching job. I'm like, how is this? And, and no one talks about this. So I, it's. It's all around us, and and it's just little pieces just being completely. um, um, And I'll shut up. It's 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 constantly bringing it top of mind. Just like I said, go back to us in business. If we say we want our profit margins to be thirty five percent, you keep it top of mind. Eventually, we're going to get to thirty five percent. Yep. And I was having a conversation the other day about like engagement surveys. Um, and what's interesting about engagement surveys, which, you know, if done correctly, can be a wealth of information and insight. But unfortunately, many organizations no longer set, no, not only set them up poorly, 
meaning there's no self-ID data. So you don't know who's saying what about the organization. But also when you look at the sort of results, everyone tends to look at the majority. Ooh, 80% of our team are happy here. We're doing great. And when you talk about diversity and inclusion, it's the 20% that we should be looking at. And who are in those 20%? Right. And if they look different, are different, behave different, talk different, like that difference is not happy at this organization. And diversity and inclusion is meant to solve that problem, not just to maintain the happiness and the comfort of that 80%. And many DNI initiatives, or I'm sorry, diversity and inclusion initiatives, as well as <laughs> um, the social media, you know, chest, you know, thumping is all about look we have 87% of our employees who are happy here. And I'm like, but you got 13% that are unhappy. Yeah, don't pay <laughs> attention to them. That? Yeah, <laughs> who's helping them? And I was like, and I'm pretty sure they look a lot like me. We're not talking about that though. But, you know, that is sometimes the issue that many sort of, you know, enterprise, large, complex organizations, sort of how they handle it and how they sort of train their brains to think if I'm, over X amount, we're good, but yeah. they don't think those that are under this amount are not good. And I am meant to solve it for everyone, not just the ones who are saying they like it here. Yep. But if they if they miss their profit a goal by 13%, they'd be fired. But if they miss their employee engagement <laughs> survey by 13%, we're good, we're good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, we there celebrate it, it. We celebrate it on totally. social media. <laughs> Come on now. Totally. Yeah. So social media is a, uh, man, that's a, it's a thing. Uh, yeah, it's a, thing, huh? it's a, it's a thing. I, I, yeah. Oh man. There's just so much fakeness in social media. I, I, that's a whole different, as Chris said, that's a different, that's, 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 uh, that's part three. It's part yeah. three. <laughs> it's, you know, it's virtue signaling, right? Like that's the term yes. that, that um, officials have given it, but you know, that, that idea that, you know, if we just say that we're doing good, people will believe us, but we don't have to prove it. Um, and, and you know, I I hate to call out companies, but I was reading this piece about IDEO, which, you know, in our previous um, sort of uh, industry where we competed design and digital agency background, like they were sort of the gold standard. And then you read these articles that are coming out of, from previous, you know, employees of color and women about the experiences they had in those walls and how open and unashamed people were in that behavior. And you go back to what Muhammad said about like that awareness of behavior and how how long do we tolerate the consistency in communication around the efforts that we wanna do and sort of ignore the lack of consistency around behavioral change. Because no matter what sort of insights you get, no matter what conversation you wanna start with, Good. at the end of the day, the solution lies in behaviors and the individual behaviors and self-awareness around those behaviors. Because if we have a situation where women say they are uncomfortable, the solution is not just to change a process, right? The solution is not just to go and hire more women. The solution is we have to change what we've been doing to make those women uncomfortable. And that takes hard work and yep. that's self-work. That's not an enterprise process and policy that we can stand up to say like, women will therefore now be comfortable here and that is it, right? Like there has to be hard work and that's individual. And you also have to sort of yeah. keep people in that lane of, 
it's not for you to go and find out who said what, because that's typically what humans want to do is find out who said it so I can punish them or get even or get rid of them, whatever the case may be. But to say, I have to assume that everybody said this. So now I have to believe that I must change because I cannot go and punish someone or find the culprit or, you know, just deal with them because you don't know when you look at diverse, you know, and sort of marginalized groups, who is the most vocal or who has the proper influence. Right. And I think that that is that conversation rarely happens because most leaders do not want to do that self work. Hmm. Um, That is difficult. And many of them believe they've already done it that's how I got here because I did that self work. It wasn't, you know, sort of the misbehaviors that got me here. It's the, it's the fact that I'm great. And I've been told I was great my entire life. And that, that problem, that challenge is something that many diversity and inclusion practitioners are facing as well as just leaders who mean well, who actually see the issue. They can get their teams to be self-aware, their peers to be self-aware, their direct reports to be self-aware and, you know, trying to bring that about is a lot of work especially when it's not just you that has to make those changes. Yeah. I think they, they start from the data and they're focused on the data instead of focusing be, the behaviors behind the data. <laughs> and so it's all about proving out numbers, showing numbers. And they've, they've taken this whole thing, even like with HR. And I believe HR is the solution to start solving this problem. But let's face it. I think they created the problem to begin with by instituting uh, systems and processes that marginalize people or exclude, uh, you know, minorities and so forth. So now we're handing them the responsibility to let's go solve the problem you created. Um, you know, I, I baffles me number one, but number two, it's also like everything is driven by numbers. It's like data. Yeah. The data is God. I understand, but there's always behaviors behind each number, each data. And, uh, you know, people are missing the point that you can't just change the numbers. You got to change the behaviors that drive the numbers. That influences it. That influences yeah. it. And too many people are focused on making numbers look good and forget about what really drives the numbers. And that's that's like a big problem in the corporate world. And many people are struggling to understand the connection between behaviors and issues of diversity and inclusion. Um, they don't, they're not able to relate how just by being a good human, having the humanistic behaviors of treating everyone the way they should be, you know, they would like to be treated. The platinum rule, as we call it, is simply the first step in inclusion, but we try to complicate it. We want to try to make a, you know, big campaigns or call it out, but don't give solutions how to solve it. Solutions isn't just like, you know, here's data to show 99.99% of the time we didn't miss our social media posts about DNI, but it's about how are we truly making a difference and no one's able to connect to, to it, talk about it, where we're talking about how leaders are, you know, not inclusive, not, you know, don't, don't really value diversity and inclusion, don't understand the value of it, but really who's talking to them about their behaviors, who's really mm-hmm. making them understand that it's their behaviors that they need to have self-awareness around and and approach it that way. And that's kind of where like my head is like, I, I don't think we can really solve this problem until there's a change in the people's mindsets and behaviors. Totally. There's a there's a there's a metric, I don't know if it's measurable, but you software folks, we know this from experience that real change comes from being uncomfortable. And when I when I look at 
any, like I challenge you to find me a really meaningful or impactful change that was comfortable, right? In, in anything, in life and business. And I think to me, it's an easy, it's an easy measuring stick to, to kind of go back to everything we just talked about, right? Like when you look at performative acts on social media, those are, those are comfortable. Like you, you don't have to do anything. You just, you just post it. saying D and I instead of diversity inclusion is comfortable, <laughs> right? When you look at just, when you rely on data, but don't look at behavior, that's comfortable, right? Come on now. So when you, when you're like able to look at comfortability as a metric, it's easy to see, in my opinion, where change is actually being happened and when the on off switch is being pulled. And we talked about consistency earlier to me, we have to get consistent about being uncomfortable. Like we have to consistently get used to being uncomfortable. I don't know what that looks like. I don't have all the solutions, but I do know that when I look at, you know, a boardroom saying, let's, let's put another $2 million to our DNI efforts that they just go back home and, and, and go, you know, play golf, whatever it is. You're like, that's comfortable. They're like, great decision. We solved the problem. Let's move on. That was clearly comfortable. But when you see CEOs and other businesses making real change, real impactful strides, it is hard. And it's not just hard on the people. It's hardest at the top or at the people who have to actually make a change. And we've seen that time and time again. It requires uncomfortability no matter what form that takes. And I think that's just something that's I'm, I'm not trying to oversimplify it because there's so much to that. But everything we've said to me just ties back to something that we say a lot at Softways, like people prefer comfort over progress. You're, you're always going to, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Mo. Good. I, I was just going to say like, but I think many people are misunderstanding uncomfortability with polarizing because if you're thinking just by going in, like, you know, telling people you've been racist and you're racist and I, I know there's a place and time for it, but if we're generalizing it, that's not uncomfortability. If I'm coming from, the opposite lens, then you could be polarizing them and distancing them even further from your goal that you're trying to achieve. So how do we bring them to that change through uncomfortability, but without mm -hmm. making them polarize and just run away from it? And, yeah. and I think that's the missing point. Like you, it, it, I think we need to find that what is the way to make them uncomfortable, but learn, but yeah. not make them polarized and run away. And I think that's where I, I would say that we have to clar clarify that. Yeah. That's a good I clarification. Think it starts, yeah. Yep. I think that's it starts good. with like Javon telling that story, story on the previous podcast, the stories that he's told so far, like they are uncomfortable to listen to. I don't know if I just told you that Javon, but like your stories <laughs> are uncomfortable to listen to, not because they should be Sometimes. hidden and right. But because I've never lived that life. Yeah, I don't know what that means. I don't even know how to ask questions. Is it appropriate to ask questions, right? Like those, those stories bring that discomfort forward, but you don't also don't want to stop listening and learning. And I think it's that, that sort of conversation that Jeff and Muhammad are having where when you really sort of want to get into that place of like really, you know, helping people understand it is in lived experiences. It is in people sharing their story. And it's, and it's also in people understanding how to engage after that. Because when you think about a lot of these conversations that people are having, these crucial conversations as they call them internally, no one knows how to engage after truth comes out. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. 
what do we do now? Like, what, who who's supposed to tell us what to do, right? Like, leaders have not been trained and have, have not been given tools. The people that are telling their stories are like, okay, everybody's quiet. <laughs> Did I upset someone? Like, am I, right? And so there's just, it's just that awkward piece. Um, and I think that's something that when we think about pushing people further along towards goals, towards the outcomes that we seek, like that, that power, right? Like after you watch a great movie, what do you do afterward, <laughs> right? It's made you uncomfortable. It's challenged your thoughts. Like who do you, do you share with people? Do you write about it? Like, do you go and go back and rewatch it again? Like what, what do you do? And I think it's that same sort of, uh, sort of pathway that has to be figured out for many corporates. And I think that it's contextual, meaning there's not one way to do it right. I think it's what's best for the organization and the situation. But Javon, yeah. you were going to say something? I, I, I was to, to Muhammad's point earlier as well. Um, why change will be slow is, is you all know this. We, we tend to gravitate to those that we have most in common with. And even if, how many times have some of us hung out with a person from a different background, a different race, a different religion? And once you sat with them 10, 15, 30 minutes, you're like, oh, shit, Frank's really cool. This, But you went into it with a different mindset, like, I don't know their background. And and so where where we are right now as a society, if you look at the majority of the people who are leading Fortune 500 companies, the great majority are white men and those white men got there by a certain playbook name was went to the certain schools come from the certain background and so as promotions come about and people start to rise through corporate america you tend to promote and gravitate to those that you understand that you have most in common with and and i shared this with people as well and and, and again another eye opener for people it's very uncomfortable for people to be like, oh, shit, he's mixed race and his dad was a pimp with 23 kids. Like, ah, get away. And I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand that. And, and to say, you know, I don't know where my last name comes from. My mom was an orphan. Um, you know, I got a GED. Now, I, I don't fall into the playbook. And so mm-hmm. the now, now you're very uncomfortable because you don't know what, okay, what do we do with that guy? And mm-hmm. so, but here's what's funny. You can take a black person from a low-income community, uh, Javon McCormick. You can take a Hispanic person from a low-income community, let's say Rosalia Rodriguez. And because white America can't identify with those backgrounds, you can take a white person from a low-economic community that may be named Steve Smith, and if nothing else, at least the people who are at the top of the food chain in corporate America – they can say, okay, you're white, I'm white, great. Your name is Steve Smith. Okay, I can help you get out of that situation and, and help you come up. Whereas Laquanda, Martavius, Javon, Rosalia, I, I, I don't know that background and that's uncomfortable for me because I don't, I don't know your, your, your background. And, and, and here's the, the, the last piece. Um, in my mind, they go together, but other people are probably like, where the hell is he going with this? Um, <laughs> It's, it's funny, too, in, in our country, if I say to you right now, to most people, I actually did this on stage at a keynote, If and one gentleman was brave, white guy, a, a, man, a guy was brave. I said, if I say low-income communities to you right now, and I say welfare, first thing that comes to your mind, 
And he, he brought it. He said, black. And I said, what's the second thing? He goes, brown. And I said, but what if I told you that there are more white people in this country on welfare than there are black and brown people combined? And he goes, is that true? And I go, yeah. And he's like, holy shit, I never knew that. And, and those are the things that when you, again, we'll go back to our profit margins. You keep putting this stuff top of mind. You have to start breaking the mold and start calling people, calling it what it is. No offense to my man, Brian Moynihan, that, that runs Bank of America, but Brian Moynihan, come on, Brian. You know, he, Brian doesn't know Javon McCormick and, and Pimp Father. And it's so, uh, and, and I don't say that to pick on him. I'm just saying that those are the things that we tend to gravitate towards the people that we know that we're most comfortable with in the way the structure is set up. Those individuals who reside at the top have brought along the people that they are most comfortable with, which is mainly white people. I, I can, Chris, I know you've heard this before. I cannot tell you how many times, uh, matter of fact, I even wrote a piece about this. Um, I was on a, uh, podcast. I was on the cover of a magazine. Oh my guys, listen to this one. You're going to love this. Mm. I was on the cover of a CEO leadership magazine on the cover was myself, general Petraeus, four-star general Petraeus, Heisman trophy winner, Bo Jackson, uh, the hedge fund billionaire, Leon Cooperman, the CEO of, uh, um, Anheuser-Busch me and, and it was several other people in there. So we're all on the cover of this magazine. So we're being interviewed uh, uh, podcast style, but it was live. And the gentleman that was interviewing I, at the time, I was still going by JT. He says, what does JT stand for? And I said, Javon Thomas. And you know what, what his response was? Oh, it sounds like an athlete's name. Wow. And so in that moment, I had a choice. Do I lose my shit? Put him in his place? Don't get to be on the magazine or do I smile, keep going so I can get on that magazine so I can show kids where I come from that, hey, we can get here. May not always be fair. We may have to bite our lip. Oh, but damn it, we can get here. Then he went on to say, oh, my gosh. And Chris, you're going to love this one. You're so articulate. Oh, as opposed to what? Do <laughs> <laughs> you know and, how many times I've heard that as feedback, as oh, positive feedback? God, yes. And, you are so articulate. And I was and, like, I've never heard you say that to so-and-so. And right. Like, oh. <laughs> right. And, and so, again, I had to sit there and even talked about it. He was like, wow, you know, with, with only a GED, you're, you're very articulate. So it, you could tell in that moment, he was like, my God, uneducated, uh, uh, mixed race, father of a pimp, you know, his dad was a pimp, um, and, but, he's, but he's articulate and he has an athlete's name and he succeeded. What's funny, what comes next though, is because I was articulate, I had found success, I had make a lot, I did make a lot of money. You let me in, you let me in. I was allowed to be on, on, on the cover of the magazine. And because I made it a little more comfortable for you, because now I came to your side of the table, but that's why you let me in. Because if I didn't have, if if I didn't make millions of dollars, if I didn't make it to the CEO chair, you wouldn't have let me in. Mm. Yep. Okay. Oh. 
Go ahead, Mohammed. Can Can I just uh, say something? So I, you know, I've I've had my own perceptions of you know different race and religions and ethnicities and so forth. So I've I've been blessed to um, have coworkers like Jeff, Chris, Frank, who and and others at Softway who who correct me, who who talk to me when I say something that might be inappropriate or might say something that is not considered uh, acceptable. So so I ask like, is there is there not an opportunity where people can like I, I, I sometimes for me it's just ignorance, pure ignorance, or it could be my biases, all of the above, but. I personally don't think I would be on this journey of learning and accepting and adapting and, and like getting my cultural competency improved if it hadn't been for the people coming to me and educating me and telling me, Mo, you know what you said there? I understand your intent, but that's not appropriate. Or Mo, you know, when you said this thing, that's not right. You don't say things like that. I, and I asked, like, who's going to do that? In a way, in a in a way where like the love they show for me, they come and they like they take their time to educate me, inform me, and from there on, I don't get like discouraged. I'm like, first, I am a little embarrassed. I won't lie, but more than anything, I'm like, okay, I really didn't know that this is how I made you feel. I really didn't know that this I was doing this, and once that awareness was brought to me, I've tried with consistency to make sure I don't do that again or I aspire to change how I behave or say those things. And in fact, it's made me more uh, vulnerable and open to go to Chris and say, Chris, can you explain this to me? I don't know what this means. Can you help me understand this is like, talk to me about this, this saying that I've heard on TV. I don't know what this means. Or I talk to Jeff and I'm like, Jeff, you know, I've played a game. I don't want to call the game's name on here, but like, what does it mean? And like, he's helped correct me many times. So how do we get to a state of where we can get leaders to be educated, informed, so that they can bring about self-awareness? Because maybe sometimes they just don't have that awareness at all. So I, for, for me, Muhammad, it, it takes the, the person. I, I've heard people say this before. You, you know, say, oh, my God, I didn't know. You didn't want to know. So you, you, you're seeking knowledge. You're seeking to understand. Some people just don't want to know. Uh, and, and to your, to your point, a uh, uh, great, great example. So we hired um, a, uh, an individual and this individual goes by pronouns. And this is the first time I've actually worked with someone that prefers pronouns. And I went in, I sat down, I had a conversation. I said, hey, I'm going to put it on the line. I don't understand it. Will you educate me and bring me up to speed to, okay, the, the, the pronouns? And, and, and they said that they have a partner. I said, okay, so is your partner male, female? And so we, but, but what was great, this individual sat with me, answered my question, and I was coming from a place of seeking to understand. The problem is most people aren't coming at this from a place of seeking to understand. And most people don't just straightforward, Muhammad. Most people don't give a damn to understand. Agreed. Like, like, like I said, those leaders that are at the top, they don't they don't care to understand. OK, what's it like coming from a low economic community and having to rise 
all of these different areas and, and really navigate this damn minefield of trying to get to the level. You're not, you're not seeking to, to understand because if you were, you would actually go and ask those questions and sit down. But you, you only want to claim seeking to understand when they say the wrong thing and they get called on it. And, mm. and that's when, oh, oh I, I, I was trying to, no, you weren't. No, you weren't. You weren't. You weren't trying to. Yeah, don't 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 backpedal. Um, to, last one, Muhammad. I had someone say the other day, uh, that literally, this was like two weeks ago. Older white person referenced, and he said, "Colored people." And I was like, "Whoa, we actually, you know, we stopped saying colored back when they had signs that said white only and colored only." It, it's um, you know now if you want to say people of color, okay. Different cover, but colored people, yeah, that one that we're gonna leave that one back in 1957. And so, wow. you know, yeah. it, it takes people speaking up, it takes someone willing to learn and say, Hey, that's on me, I apologize, I come from that error. And it also takes people to understand that there are people who come from that error who used to say those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, granted, they they need to eliminate them. But they also have to be educated on no one saying colored anymore. Yeah. And no, it reminds I, me of us. Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say quickly, like I, I, my, my idea is don't forget that story, Chris. I really want to hear um, yeah. leaders. It's it's the, it's a responsibility to create a culture of curiosity, like be OK to be curious. And and once you create a culture of curiosity, like Javon, you, you're sharing so many incredible examples of this. You give people permission to be curious and to explore and to learn. And so I, you know, I'm coming back to this position of what leadership really means and what it looks like. And if a leader is willing to say, I would like to intentionally sit down with you and truly understand the meaning behind the usage of pronouns. What does it mean to you? Why is it important to you? Other people are seeing that, they're recognizing the value in that. And as you build empathy towards that individual situation, it creates an effect of other people seeing it as well. It, it happens, right? So what I'm thinking about is like, man, go in with a growth mindset, be curious and engage with people when they look or act different than you. And and when you do that, you create an opportunity for others to do the same. And that opens up relationship. And once you have a relationship with people, you realize that they're not so different, but their differences are valuable, right? So anyway, that was my thought, Chris. I was just going to tell a quick story. This is actually my mom's story, but um, she tells this, I tell it, but it's um, so she graduated in the mid seventies and, you know, she came down to Texas from North Carolina and was an accountant and got a job here in, in Houston. And, um, you know, she was getting along fine. And one day a white male coworker calls her outside of her name and that word being the N word. And, you know, she is, Right. You know, but she doesn't say anything. She just leaves for the day, goes home, but she comes back. And just so you know, for listeners and watchers, my grandfather is an avid hunter. So when he moved her down here, he gave her his gun. Right. Like made sure that she could be protected and whatnot since he wasn't going to be here. And um, she, you know, got her cool, collected her thoughts and actually came back to the office and, uh, in the parking garage parked right next to the gentleman's car who called her outside of her name. 
had her gun in the front seat. And, you know, the security guard at the time was also African-American. So he let her in. Right. And he's like, because it had spread around the office that she had been called that. Right. And, you know, just so you know, if you don't know, um, black people talk. <laughs> so even, even if we don't congregate, you know, openly, we, we do talk. Um, and so he allowed her in. And, you know, when the gentleman came to his car, she was in her driver's seat. And she said, hey, come over here, come over here. And she, you know, she, you know, let him lean in. And she was like, so I just want to let you know, if you ever have the desire to call me outside of my name again, we might have some problems. And she looked at her passenger seat where the gun was sitting. <laughs> <laughs> Never, ever had another issue with the gentleman afterward. And I'm bringing up that story not to use threats, but sometimes it takes that type of approach to get people to understand what is and what is not allowed. And at that time, that was what, you know, she did. And again, no issues after that. Um, but as you brought up that story, it reminds me of that story because I, whenever I hear it, I'm like, have I gotten a little bit of hurt in me in certain situations? Probably so, maybe, right? <laughs> but um, when we think about change and when we think about issues in the workplace and when we think about, you know, being human in the workplace, sometimes it does take those layers to be sort of, you know, disrobed and sometimes it's not comfortable and sometimes yeah. it might feel aggressive abrasive or downright threatening but if that's what it takes that's what it takes sometimes hey, hey uh chris you you go what what's here's another one of those consistency things for me and and i'm not telling people what they should or shouldn't be called um i cringe because I believe it, if we go back and we look at it when it started being the politically correct term to say, um, I refuse to be called African-American. I'm half white, half black. And you know why? Because mm -hmm. we, we never, we never said, Oh, there, there's a so-and-so there, they're a Sweden American. There's, there's so-and-so <laughs> there, they're a Scandinavian American. And I'm like, well, wait mm -hmm. a minute. Why, why do I got to be labeled? And I can't just get half white, half black or white or, yeah. or black. Um, so yeah. I won't use the moniker. Uh, in fact, think about this. Elon Musk is African-American. <laughs> True. He's, he's got dual citizenship. So yeah, I, 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 just for me, again, I, I'm not telling mm -hmm. anybody what they should or shouldn't go by. But yeah. for me, um, I, I try to steer clear of what society has set up, again, in my mind, um, of these, these things that keep us apart from, from, you know, you're, you're going to put a label on me, African-American. Oh, oh, we know exactly who he's talking about right off the bat. I'm half white, half black. I'm black. I'm white. Yeah. Period. I'm a person. Yeah. And the worst question of all, I get this so <laughs> many times, the worst question, what are you? I get that so many, what are, I'm, I'm, excuse my language. You guys can edit me out. I'm fucking human. That's what I am. <laughs> and seen. I am fucking human. Well, I, I'm like, come on. I, I'm, I, I mean, what, what are you know, I don't mind if you ask what's my nationality. Okay, great. Great. Fair question. But what are you seriously? Think I about get that question a lot. Yes. <laughs> But but be but be fair, and, and I'm not picking on Frank. Frank, no. when's the last time you've been asked what are you? Never. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So, anyway, there's my three cents. No, fair Never point. Well, 
you're about to set me off on a rant about that question with with Asians, but we don't have time. So this, <laughs> you, you just you just locked yourself into another episode, Jamal. Hey man, you, <laughs> you guys three. This is uh, we're 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 about to start. I mean, hey, Joe Rogan, we're coming. <laughs> Once we hit, listen, it, it's needed to be. I, I'm gonna stop talking. Okay. <laughs> you should just join us. Just just be a regular co-host of the show. We just we should invite Javon cool. randomly for like different interviews. And we're like, and Javon's we'll to, here, and then you just we'll, take it. And you, we'll you know to, how awesome that would be. People are like, who the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to uh, hire an assistant for our executive producer Maggie just to do edits for bleeping out words, but. That's, oh, no, no, no. We're just gonna put the little whole e. nother. We're just gonna put the little e on it, and we're good. <laughs> Think about. Can you imagine? Um, I, I come on with you all. You have your guest, and I start talking, and, and the person looks and they go, "What are you?" <laughs> <laughs> and then you know what to say. Oh we'll, man, yeah. And then we'll fire them right on the spot. We'll be like, "Yeah, they're fired." Podcast, they're podcast over. <laughs> oh my gosh. Man, you, you guys, seriously, I mean this with, with, with all sincerity. Um, man, you, you are doing it next level. This this is awesome to even, even I've been sitting here looking, you know, we've got Muhammad, we've got Chris, we've got Frank, Jeff. I mean, this is this is how it's supposed to be done. And, and with, with with love, respect, acceptance, uh, willingness to learn. This this is um, this is phenomenal. I, I really appreciate you all uh, allowing me to be a part of this. I, I sincerely mean that. This is if if the world, our society, could operate the way we are on, on this podcast, um, it, it would be phenomenal. The 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 only we need we need to get get Maggie in here to get some woman representation too. But um, <laughs> it, it's. Yeah, this, this is this is great. And I, I really appreciate you all putting this together. No, absolutely. Awesome. Javon, thank you once again for joining us. It's it's an absolute pleasure. I wasn't joking that when we try to get this down to four people at a time, we were like, oh, I guess we'll all just jump in here. We'll do five because <laughs> we all want to be here for this conversation. It's always fun. And uh, so, yeah, thank you so much. And I'll close out with thanking our listeners going to plug the book again. It's available on Amazon everywhere else. So you can find books. Just check out loveasabusinessstrategy.com for more information. And also at Love as a Business Strategy, the podcast, we're posting new episodes every Wednesday. If there's something you'd like us to cover or talk about or feedback you have, we love feedback. Hit us up at software.com slash labs, L-A-A-B-S. So leave us a review, give us, send us love, do all the nice things, tell your friends. Um, and, and, Message Javon on social media. Tell him to come <laughs> back for a third episode. Hey, I will come back. Hey, we're gonna do Round this 12. like like the uh, Fast and Furious franchise. Were they like on nine now? <laughs> we're on nine. Like, <laughs> and they're getting better. Apparently, getting better. Right. So listen, I mean, I mean we're, listen, we're, we're, we're we haven't coming, even hit the pinnacle. That's it. As long as I get to be the the uh, the Rock, we're good. We're good. <laughs> <Let's> go. <laughs> uh, Frank, Frank, I don't know, Frank. Frank. Listen, <laughs> I, I thank The Rock in the back of this book. I really do. He's in the back of this book. Anyway. Nice. Anyway. All right, folks. With that, we will see everybody next week. Thank you, Muhammad, Chris, Frank, and especially Javon for signing out. See hey, you thank you all. Thank you, Maggie. <laughs> Thanks, Maggie. We love you.